0: That was almost tragic. (sighs) Caught my foot on the guitar cord. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) So, uh, this is my last sermon in our summer series called, What Does the Bible Say About? Pastor Jack's going to be preaching next week. I'm going to be here, but he's going to cover our last sermon. And so, um, that'll give me some time to to get prepared for what we're going to be doing in the fall. I'm really excited about our fall series. It's actually not a fall series. It's going to take us through the entire 21-22 school year. It's called The Plan. And what we're going to be doing, it's going to be the sermon series and our youth group program and our uh, kids' Wednesday night group are all going to be going through. this called The Plan. And it takes us through the entire story of the Bible and seeing how it is one single story with one single plot that drives the whole thing. And so it, I'm really excited because understanding the Bible... Uh, and the story, the grand story of the Bible is uh, one of the things that really helps people to retain their faith, and it also really helps them to communicate their faith. And so it helps to us to understand the Bible and also be able to talk to people about what we believe. And so I'm really looking forward to that, and uh, we're going to be starting that in a couple of weeks. But today, we are doing... Um, The last topic that you've requested that I'm going to cover, which is, what does the Bible say about final judgment? Remember, I told you I've been putting off. So this one came in various forms. Someone asked, what does the Bible say about final judgment? Someone else asked, what does the Bible say about the wrath of God? We also got a question about, um, what about earnest people who never get the chance to hear about the gospel? What happens to them? And then also about, uh, can you lose your salvation? And, the, and all of these questions are tied up in final judgment. We've talked about end times, but final judgment is, is a more specific question. And it's a really important question for us to talk about. In Hebrews 6, the author of Hebrews lists the six uh, elementary doctrines, and one of them is final judgment. And it's, it's something that's really important for us to understand about the gospel. It's a key part of how we communicate to people, why they... Uh, should care about the gospel is because final judgment is coming. And also, final judgment is commonly an aspect of Christianity that people either respond to or against when they're presented with the gospel. And so, this is something that we really need to know about. And I would argue that there is a really, really important tension going on in final judgment and in the ways we talk about it. It's one of the things that we divide over the most. And today we're going to just hit it square on the head when we look at what is the basis of final judgment. How are we going to be judged? So let's start by looking at the question behind the question, and then we'll dig into what the Bible says. We'll start at this point. The Bible is very clear that we will all face justice in the end. Now I'm using that word justice for a reason, because we talk, when we talk about judgment... One of the reasons people often react negatively to that is because when they hear judgment, they hear it that's like arbitrary, you know, a person's judgment might be right or wrong, and so we don't want to be judged. We don't want a person deciding about us based on their opinion, you know, even if it's God. We don't like that idea. And so there are people who say, I don't want judgment. I don't think there should be judgment. But I would argue that everybody wants justice. And the people that would say the most they don't want final judgment, they don't believe in final judgment, they will still want justice in this world. Right? We still want right to be vindicated, the innocent to be protected. right? We all actually want justice. And in the Bible, judgment is God's judgment is justice. If you remember, if you were here last summer when we went through the Psalms, we talked about the Psalms of judgment and how they were celebrating the coming of God's judgment because that is the coming of justice. And so the Bible is very clear that we will all face justice in the end, and ultimately I think that is, if we're honest, something that we all want on one level. We certainly want justice on other people. The problem that we run into is when we have to face justice, right? It's me standing before justice that becomes the problem. And the first part of that problem is that uh, being judged for our actions on an eternal, when when the question is, do you deserve eternal life? you're being judged on your actions, that seems hopeless, right? Because I, I think everybody, if they're honest, would say, I have not been good enough to be entitled to eternal life. Maybe I could convince myself that I'm entitled to a long earthly life. Like, I'm entitled to live to my 80s or 90s, you know, because I can compare my... But I don't think anybody could say, yeah, I, I am owed eternal life. So if that's what we're going to be judged on, if we're going to be judged on our actions, we're all hopeless. Because none of us are actually that good. Right? Even if you've convinced yourself that you're pretty good, you're not that good. And the good news then, in the gospel is, you're not going to be judged based on what you've done. You're going to be judged based on what you believe. Because if you believe in Jesus, then you'll be able to get eternal life. And that's the good news. You don't have to rely on what you've done. But therein lies a whole new set of problems when we talk about being saved based on what you believe. Because being judged for our beliefs is great when my beliefs are accurate, but It creates a a, whole group of other problems. So that being judged for our beliefs actually seems unjust. We got one of these questions. What about a person who was born in Australia a thousand years ago and had no way of communicating with anybody who'd ever heard the gospel, had no chance, and it was... God decided, you know, God let them be born in a place where they would never even be able to hear the gospel. They could have been completely ready. It could have, you know, they could have been like five words of a gospel presentation away from saying yes, but they never got those five, and now they have no chance for eternal life. That doesn't seem particularly just. And then on the other hand, a thousand years ago at the same time, you've got people running around the Middle East with crosses on their chest saying God wills it as they hack down innocent civilians, and you have all kinds of Christians with absolutely orthodox beliefs who do absolutely terrible things, and some of them are even absolutely convinced that God wants them to do those terrible things, or that God's glad that they did them. And they're putting God's name on these horrible things, and they believe all the accurate facts about God. And they get in, and other people don't? Or... Well, then we, get into, we also get into the question of you know, losing your salvation, because you know, I believed in Jesus for about a year and a half when I was a teenager, and then I became an atheist, and does that mean I should get in over my atheist friend who never believed in Jesus at all? Does that somehow entitle me? Like, you see how we get into these puzzles? Uh, it, it, it's great that there's mercy, but now we've introduced all new kinds of injustice, potentially. So this is the tension that we have to deal with, is how can God judge us in a way that is just, but is also merciful? It's simple for him to be just, except that then nobody gets in. If he's just, that's easy, but then then nobody makes it. So how can he be just and merciful at the same time? That's what we're going to get into. And I'll give you fair warning, I'm not going to end up being able to give you clear answers on those specific questions about um, I'm, I, like, like I'm not going to be able to tell you this is the verse that answers the question about whether you can lose your salvation and this is the verse that answers the question about what happens to people who never hear the gospel. But I do think we can understand those scenarios better and we can somewhat resolve some of this tension or at least know how to come, find some some resolution to that tension as we understand what the Bible actually says because there's a lot of Misunderstanding about what the Bible really does say on this topic. So the first question that we have to ask is, if we know we're facing final judgment, who is going to do the judging? That's the first thing you've got to know. If you're going to be judged, number one, who's doing the judging? Now, obviously, it's God, right? Except that the Bible actually tells a bit more specific of a story about that. Because when you read the Gospels, when you read the book of Acts, and the disciples, uh, the apostles go around proclaiming the good news, they tend to tell the same story. They say, hey, we walked around for three years with this guy. He did all these amazing things, and then they killed him. But God brought him back to life and vindicated him and proved that he is the king. And why does it matter that this guy who is now in heaven, he's not on earth leading armies, he's in heaven. Why does it matter that this guy in heaven is the king? Well, when Peter's talking to Cornelius in Acts 10, this is what he says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So one of the reasons why it matters that Jesus ascended and he is in heaven is, first of all, he's, you know, he's interceding for us. That's one of the things we say, that he is, he is interceding with God on our behalf, but also he has been given all authority to judge. So in the end, the person that we're looking at in the judgment seat is Jesus. So Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Now, the reason why it matters who's going to be doing the judging is because when you know who's going to be doing the judging, then you can ask that person, how are they going to judge? If we know Jesus is the one that's going to judge, then then Jesus, we should look, what did Jesus say about how he's going to judge? Okay? I, I hope you're sitting in a chair that has armrests, because this... Um, This is one of those places where in the Sunday school classes I grew up in, there were certain things that the Bible wasn't allowed to say. And so if you read it and it said this, you must be misreading it or you must be misinterpreting it or you need a quick jump to a safer verse that will override that verse because it can't possibly mean this thing. That's not how the Bible actually works. And so we're going to be looking at something that the Bible says even if we try and avoid the fact that it says this. So we're going to look at what Jesus said about how he's going to judge us. Okay? Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only the one who the will. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 16 he says, The Son of Man is going to come to his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. In John 5, Jesus says, "...a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned." In Revelation 2, Jesus says, "...all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." And the last time Jesus speaks in the Bible, his last speech in Revelation, he begins by saying, "...look, I am coming soon, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. How is Jesus going to judge the world? Jesus said he will judge us according to our actions. In fact, it's the only thing he really says about how he's going to judge. In fact, it's the only thing the New Testament says about judgment. In fact, judgment essentially means looking at people's actions in the New Testament. That is how judgment is spoken about every time it's talked about. That's what judgment means. And we will all be judged. Now, you might be thinking, hey, but Paul Paul says something different, right? Paul tells us that we're going to be saved by faith, not by works, so we're not going to face judgment based on our works. We're going to talk about faith in a bit, but just to clear things up, I had about eight that I could read you, but I'm going to read you one where Paul talks about how we're going to be judged. This is Romans 2. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Paul teaches us the judgment is by our actions as well. Over and over again. This is the only way the New Testament actually talks about judgment. So this feels hopeless, right? This gets back into that well if I'm judged by my actions, then I'm in trouble. You also may have heresy bells going off, depending on where you were what churches you were raised in. Trust me, I, I get that. So let me bear with me, see where I'm going with this, okay? So let's, let's backtrack and let's, let's take, a, a, take it from a different angle about how we are saved. One of the questions people have is why, you know, we say, why do you have to be a Christian? Why do we need to, why does Jesus, knowing Jesus, have to do with being saved? Well, the, the claim of Christianity is that there is one God... Not just the generic God, but specifically Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the problem for humanity is that we are alienated from that God who created us. Right? There is a specific God with a specific will who created us, and we were made to be in relationship with Him. We were made to do His will, and that relationship has been broken. And so the only way we can be saved is to have that relationship repaired. And automatically, by recognizing that, you have eliminated most religions basically pretty much everything else uh, as a possible solution because they don't claim to reconcile you to Yahweh. They don't even claim to reconcile you to the God of Israel. you basically got Christianity and Judaism left, right? And the claim of Christianity is you cannot be good enough to reconcile that relationship. You cannot fix things because we are broken and we can't fix ourselves. So the only possible way for that relationship to be repaired is for God to take the first step. And this is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not because God is like does, doesn't like people who do other religions or he's like being, being narrow-minded or anything like that. It's because Jesus is the only way that works. It's the only thing that solves the problem we have is to know Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is the only possible solution. The question then is, how do we participate in that solution? How do we, how do we, how do we follow that way? John 3.16 famously tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There you go, belief. Right? Well, except, key thing to always remember, the Bible is not written in English. It's translated into English. This verse was written in Greek, which means the word for believe is not believe, it's pistes. And the word pistes has a broader meaning than simply to believe. It does mean believing propositions of fact, but it also refers to faith and faithfulness. And actually, one of the best words for this to translate this word might be allegiance. So that you could, perhaps more accurately, translate this verse to say, "...God so loved the world that He gave us one and only Son, that whoever gives Him their allegiance will not perish but have eternal life." See, the call to believe in Jesus and the call to follow Jesus are the same call. In Greek, they mean the same thing. That the way we access the truth, the life, and the way is to follow Jesus. Not simply to agree to certain facts about Him, but to actually give Him our lives. To say, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He is my Lord and Savior. That is a Pledge of Allegiance that we say every week. Right? And that is what the Bible says allows us to access eternal life through Jesus, is our allegiance to Jesus. So, Jesus is the only possible way to the Father, and all we have to do is give Him our allegiance. Now, here's how we take that and we connect it with the fact that we're going to be judged by our actions, okay? So here's the thing. This means we're going to face final judgment, but the question that's being judged is not were you a perfect person. The question that Jesus is going to judge is, did you give him your allegiance? That is the question we face at final judgment, okay? And here's the thing about allegiance. Allegiance... Can only be judged by actions. Allegiance can only be judged by actions. Think about this. I want you to think about a person you know, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, a friend, someone that you know to be utterly trustworthy, and think about how you would convince me that that person is trustworthy without telling me anything they've done. Convince me that you're, you can trust your spouse without telling me anything about anything they've done, any examples, nothing like nothing about their behavior. Convince me that they're a trustworthy person. Can you do that? Can you be a faithful spouse without ever doing anything? Like, is that... <sighs> My wife, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for the reminder. So one of the things that we say a lot in Christianity, and I, I'm not sure I'm super comfortable with it because I don't think it's quite this simple, but we'll say a lot. It's not a relationship, it's a, or it's not a religion, it's a relationship, Right? And there, to this extent, that is true. If a religion is rules-based, like if you do these things, you are a good person or a morally perfect person, and that's to get to heaven. That doesn't work. It is a relationship, but it is still possible to judge relationships. It is possible to judge whether you have been a faithful friend or a faithful spouse, or a, a, you know, or a loving child or a responsible parent. Right? Those can be judged, and how are they judged? By your actions. This is exactly what James says in chapter 2. He says, Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Imagine someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Like, faith is my gift, and, and one person can have faith, and another person can do faithful things. And they're separate. He says, Show me your faith without your deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Think about that. How are you going to show me your faith without deeds? Without doing anything? Without living it out, acting it out? How are you going to show me that you have faith? What does it even mean to have faith in Jesus without doing anything? Do you really if it doesn't change the way you live? Not by the meaning of the Greek word, tis. That's why he says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Because it's the acting out of your trust in Jesus that makes it real, that makes it true. And so this is the question that Jesus is going to be judging, is did you give me your allegiance? You don't have to be a perfect person. You just have to follow me. And when you realize this, and you start to look through, especially the Gospel of Matthew, you realize that Jesus is giving us a lot of clues about what that judgment is going to look like. The kinds of things he might ask us. For instance, we've already read this one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he's gonna notice, he's, gonna, he's not gonna say, hey, did you say that confession in church every Sunday? No, that's good enough. No, he's gonna say, Did you obey God? When you knew what God wanted you to do, did you do it? Because that shows that you've given your allegiance to Jesus. In another place in, in Matthew 10, Jesus says. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So, he might ask you, did you acknowledge Jesus before others? Now, why is this important? This would actually seem kind of weird if, I, if this is a, a rule for my friendship with other people. Do you have to tell everybody you're my friend anytime they ask? Like, that's a little weird and kind of self-centered. Why does Jesus care about that? Well, he cares because when two parts of your life are in tension, if they contradict, or if they don't work together, the one that you hide is the one that's less important. You hide the less important for the sake of the more important. And so if you hide your relationship with Jesus, then he may not actually be your Lord. Right? Right? It doesn't mean if you ever did that once, then you're out. But if that's what—if you're constantly suppressing your identity in Christ and suppressing that you're never acknowledging that—then is He really your Lord? Jesus said to His disciples, "Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Me will find it." Did you make Jesus your priority? Or did you fit him in the gaps of the stuff that was more important? Was he really your Lord? Did you really give him your allegiance? Or did you give him the scraps of your schedule? The scraps of your heart? Jesus tells a story about a king who forgives a servant a huge debt. And then that servant has another servant who owes him a little bit, and he refuses to forgive that other servant. So this unforgiving, the king finds out about this unforgiving servant, and he finds out what he did, and he's angry. And in his anger, his master, the king, handed this unforgiving servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So Jesus might ask you, did you forgive others the way Jesus forgave you? This one probably comes up the most. It's in the Lord's Prayer. We prayed this together, remember? We asked God to forgive us as we forgive others. I hate that part. I hate that part. You uncomfortable yet? Remember that that, uh, parable that we read where the king is sorting people out and he says, You know, come into your reward, you who did all these things for me. Let's pick that back up. He says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus might ask you, did you take care of his people? These are all questions that you might and I might be hypothetically asked at Judgment Day because the answers to these kinds of questions, I'm not saying this is, this is not the heavenly checklist. All right? I'm not claiming that I got the test ahead of time. But these are the kinds of things that Jesus talks about when he talks about judgment. These are the kinds of things that Jesus cares about, and he's the one who's going to be judging these are the kinds of things that reveal whether we are giving Jesus our allegiance. Now, this may be filling you with anxiety. Uh, this may make you feel like you're not really saved. This may be really discouraging. And there's every instinct in me as a pastor is to go to the reassurance and, and, and to, to give everybody assurance right now. And I'm going to do that somewhat, but I want to sit in this for a second, not to make you question your salvation, but to say, Jesus certainly seems to care that we we are not taking things for granted. He talks about our relationship with God, that we should not be taking these things for granted and assuming that we are doing them. Right? This is something that we're supposed to care about. And I don't want to too quickly say, oh, don't worry about this. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. This is important for us to know that this is how God is going, or Jesus is going to judge. But also remember that this is a relationship, not a religion, and it's not a test. So it's not that if you haven't been doing these things enough, then you're already going to fail. I don't want you to be looking at this and say, "Wow, I'm going to fail that test. There's no hope for me, or anything, or anything like that." Because it's, here's the thing: it's a relationship. It's a matter of allegiance to Jesus. It's a matter. It's not a matter of being perfect, but it's a matter of following Him. So the problem comes when you don't care that you aren't answering these questions well enough, right? When you don't care that you're not actually following Jesus's priorities, that's a problem. When you care. And when you recognize, when, when it breaks your heart to realize that you have failed in one of these areas and you repent and you, you want to do better and you you ask God for the Spirit to help you do better in and your and, and, and you care about these priorities, that is the place you're meant to be. And when you're in that place, the, the Spirit will continue to, to change you and to work in you and, because you, you can't do it yourself. The Spirit does it in you. But the difference here is it's, it's not a matter of a test. It's never too late for you to repent and recommit and and then repent and recommit as every you know, whenever you find out that you failed in one of these areas, we repent and we recommit because Jesus is gracious. Remember that? We did a sermon on grace a while ago and the fact that Jesus is generous. He is generous and he forgives. He forgives when we mess up. And so it's about following Jesus. You're going to stumble when you follow Jesus. He walks really hard roads. And it doesn't matter if, I mean, sorry, not that it doesn't matter, but it's okay that you're following behind. If you're you're following Jesus, he He will lead you. And when you stumble, He'll pick you back up. But it does matter that we actually follow Him. That really does matter. It matters that what we say every week about Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior, it matters that that's said not just with my lips, but with my actions. That has to be true. So as we conclude, here's where I want to land us, Um, and we're we're going to look at a couple of these questions that we were asked. The first thing we need to recognize is, ultimately, Jesus will judge every human soul according to His wisdom. One of the ways we can get the good news turned around is we think that the good news is there's a new arithmetic for salvation. There's a new test, there's a new math problem, there's a different calculator being used. But the good news is the person who's going to be doing the judging. Okay? We don't trust in a better math problem or no more. You know, we don't tr- it's, it's not good news, we're being graded on a curve. It's good news there's a different person administering the test. Jesus Christ, who has lived a life like ours, who has faced the challenges we have faced, who loves us and gave his life for us, he's the one administering the test. Okay? He's the one doing the judging. That's the good news, is in Jesus. And he being the judge, uh, he, the only way he has shown us to eternal life is to follow, trust, and obey him. He's the one who's going to decide. And the only way He has told us, the only way He has given us, is to follow, trust, and obey Him. So when we understand it this way, that might help us to rethink the question about can you lose your salvation. Because the question about losing your salvation is, you know, did you, you know, if I believed for a while and then I stopped believing, what happens? But if we recognize that that faith is loyalty, that faith is uh, allegiance, the faith is faithfulness, then it changes the way you judge whether they had faith in the first place or not. And what it means, because there's a lot in the New Testament about perseverance. There's a lot about the imper- importance of us sticking to our faith. And so I don't see anything in the Bible to say that if I, if I believed certain facts for a certain period of time early in my life, and they never actually changed me, that that's saving faith. So what what we're called to is faithfulness to Jesus Christ, who is generous and forgiving and loving to us. So I think we can think through that question in a little bit different terms. When it comes to what happens to people who never get a chance to hear the gospel, we can also think that through a little bit differently. Because you remember, the good news is not a new arithmetic, it's a new judge. It's a new person administering the test. And so, we only know the one way that he has given us. He has given us one way, and we know there's one judge. And so, we need to tell every single person we can about that way. Not only because it's the only way that we know to get eternal life, but it is also the only way to live this life the way it's supposed to be lived. The gospel makes your life better today. Okay? Okay? But when it comes to the question of people that I, I'm never going to meet, a, hopefully I will never meet a person who's never heard of the gospel because that means that I met them and didn't say anything, right? So these are people that I'm never going to meet. What do we think about them? Well, we, are, we have to trust Jesus to be righteous and merciful when he judges. How is he going to handle those situations? I don't know. He didn't tell me. He didn't check with me first. He's not explaining to me how he's going to make these decisions. I know that Jesus is going to make the best decisions possible decision. In every situation, He is going to make the best possible decision better than I ever could. And that's the good news, So we have the best judge possible. And I, I believe very firmly that we will, when we get to heaven, when you get into eternal life, you will be surprised by some of the people who made it in. Now, they only made it in through Jesus. I'm not saying there's other ways that don't involve Jesus. But you might be surprised at some of the people who are there. And I also guarantee you there will be someone there who is surprised to see you right? There be people there who surprised that you're there. But that's because Jesus is the one who makes the decision, and he makes the best, most just, most righteous, and most merciful decision. And so the good news that we proclaim to people isn't that I've come up with the best possible explanation for you, but I know the best possible person to make that judgment call, and he's on the throne. That's the good news. So trust in him and follow him, And you can have that abundant, eternal life that begins today and transforms you today and lasts forever. Amen? As we close, I'm going to encourage you to consider taking some last steps. Some first steps. Some next steps. There we go. Next steps. Next steps. First of all, give your life to Jesus. If you haven't entrusted your life to the judge who's going to judge the world and the one who died for you and loves you and created you and wants to give you the life you were made for, today is the best day for you to give him your life and follow him. So you can come forward during the final song. You can write it on your connect card and we'll follow you. You can come up and talk to a staff member after church. Find a way, talk to us. We would love to walk you through that. If you're online, get a hold of us. Contact the church office. We would love to talk to you. If you're looking for a church home to get connected with, we encourage you to sign up for our Connect class with that Connect card. Uh, You check the box. Our next one is September 5th, so next weekend um, uh, from 1230 to 2. And we offer those each month. And you can find out more about who we are, what we do, and how you can get connected. We also have small groups, which are, are small groups that get together and they, they live life together. You know, they meet together and they share their burdens and they read scripture together and, and they figure out how to live this life together and how to navigate following Jesus together. Because this is a team sport. So this is your squad. This is your team. And, and these teams are also going to be going through the, um, the plan together. So we really encourage you to get signed up for one of those, to go deeper into the plan as we do that in this following year. Mark that on your Connect card. Or finally, God also calls us to give back, to serve. You saw that in one of those parables, that being loyal to Jesus means serving the people he cares about. So if you want to get plugged in in one of those ways, you can check that on your Connect card as well. So I'd encourage you to consider making one of those decisions as we stand and sing our final song.